Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Tuesday, July 7th. We begin with a conversation with Mercedes Stevenson, Global's Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. Mercedes has details on the Ethics Commissioner's investigation into Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's dealings with the WE Youth Organization an organization which has received over $900 million in federal funding. Millions of Canadians who received CERB payments this year could be in for a shock at tax time. If you received a CERB payment, there's a good chance you'll owe money to the Canada Revenue Agency. We speak with a tax specialist on what you should know about the program. The cancellation of this year's Calgary Stampede has impacted the bottom line of many local businesses and even charitable organizations. We check in with the Calgary Food Bank on how they're faring. And finally, it's a home makeover show with a twist. We speak with the host of HGTV's Hot Mess House on the art of decluttering your space. 609 on the morning news. A lot's happening across the nation. That's why we love the opportunity to check in with Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. This week, uh, looking at grabbing your mask, be sure you pack it if you live in the Ottawa surrounding area and certain areas throughout Ontario. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, But first, uh, Mercedes, the Ethics Commissioner interested in uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's relationship with the WE organization. Good morning to you, Mercedes. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for joining us. Let's unpack this because I think a lot of people may have heard of we, particularly if you have kids. They've had these, uh, you know, me to we uh, arenas uh, set up for the kids, the school kids to come to. Uh, What is this organization and what is the relationship uh, Justin Trudeau has with we? So we is an organization that uh, basically puts on a whole bunch of programs, but but a lot to do um, with motivating and encouraging young people. So as you said, if you have kids, especially um, you know in a certain age range, uh, it's sort of older elementary school up to high school. Uh, you've probably heard them talk about we. You might have heard about we day. Um, me to we, all kinds of these slogans that are just sort of commonly discussed because uh, we is so well known that it's really sort of um, not only here in Canada, but internationally dedicated to trying to help children. It was established by the Kielbergers, which is a name you might recognize too, two brothers um, who wanted to do this from when they were kids. Um, so lots of big and, and really well-liked programs, but also a charity um, that is not very transparent, that has faced some questions before about how they operate. And in this particular case, was awarded the government contract to give out the, the job opportunities and volunteer opportunities to students. Um, the issue with this is sort of people want, well, wait a minute, isn't that the federal government's job? Don't we have bureaucrats to do that? Isn't that why people are paying their taxes? So why has a charity suddenly been chosen to deliver this program? Um, and there was basically a response that, well, they were the only ones capable of doing it. Um, there started to be a lot of digging by journalists around this, a lot of questions raised about what exactly the connections were between the Trudeaus and we. Uh, Sophie Trudeau, in fact, was on a WE event in the United Kingdom when she, uh, well, at least when we know she had COVID-19 and came back. She's worked as an ambassador for them. Uh, Justin Trudeau has long been involved with them. And so people were then saying, okay, so uh, this charity is administering a program that will, yes, give lots of young people jobs and money, but also gives them money when it turns out they'd laid off a bunch of their staff. There'd been heavy board turnover. Oh, and there's a lot of connections between the prime minister and the prime minister's wife and this charity. 
And then sort of the, the cherry on top politically that made this untenable is that there was a call uh, made between Craig Kielberger, I believe it was Craig, was one of the Kielbergers, um, and others within the organization talking about how the Prime Minister's office, according to Mr. Kielberger, had called them and basically asked them to administer this. Well, that set off all kinds of red flags because that's not how government procurement works. The Prime Minister's office cannot call someone and basically assign a government program to them. There has to be a proper process. Later, uh, Mr. Kilberger and we said that he had misspoken, uh, that they didn't mean the Prime Minister's office, but then the Prime Minister sort of wouldn't be clear on whether or not he talked to him. He said he hadn't called and actually said he would give him the program, uh, but they weren't clear on whether they talked at some point that week and, and discussed it with um, Mr. Trudeau's office and Mr. Kilberger's office. This all just became too much. We pulled out and said, we're we're no longer going to administer the program. The government has refused to disclose any of the information to this point. And you can believe we all have lots of access to information requests in on this. Mm -hmm. Um, But they refuse to disclose at this point how the decision was made to give this to we, why they believe they were the only ones capable of doing it rather than splitting it up uh, among other charities. Um, And the Ethics Commissioner, of course, now has this involvement as well at the request of the opposition parties who will be looking at things as well, like personal connections between the Trudeaus and the organization, and in fact, whether a call between the Prime Minister's office and the organization was ever made versus the government department that is responsible for this, which is typically who would be doing the calling. Okay, so Mercedes, obviously there's something a little hinky there. The ethics commissioner has been called in. What happens if they do find, and you know, this is obviously the right decision to bring in the ethics commissioner. So what happens if they do find that the government, the prime minister did something wrong? Is there any, you know, process to take care of that or to, to penalize? Uh, ethics commissioner is basically toothless. Um, <laughs> so they... they um, have investigated before with uh, other prime ministers, including Mr. Trudeau, on, on previous occasions. Um, and if the ethics commissioner finds that you violated something, I mean, it's not criminal. Uh, it's not even administrative. So there, there's really no consequence. Um, they, they can you know, issue a report that is very politically embarrassing. That's about the worst of what the ethics commissioner is able to do. We're not talking about massive fines or some sort of a court process. Um, the ethics commissioner exists to sort of give their opinion and rule it. But at the end of the day, um, it is basically up to Canadians to take a look at that report and decide what they think of it. Um, versus there being some sort of a consequence like there would be when you think of maybe a law enforcement investigation or something else. Wow. Let's switch gears and talk COVID-19. Masks uh, started to to really focus in on Ottawa when they said that they'd be mandatory. Let's talk about where that's at and how much further it expands in through uh, southern Ontario. So masks are uh, the new fashion out here, <laughs> and I plan to buy a lot because for once I have an excuse to go shopping, uh, <laughs> albeit mostly online these days. Uh, but yeah, they're making them mandatory for, for inside spaces in particular. Um, when you're outside and there's lots of space between you and other people, that's fine and well and you don't have to worry. But when you're inside, um, they are requiring people to wear masks. And this is not so much to protect yourself from other people as we've talked about before. It's to protect other people from you because there are asymptomatic carriers of coronavirus. Um, and these masks, which are, you know, it's not N95, it's just your simple fabric mask that you're seeing you can buy anywhere, can help to protect 
from those droplets. And some of the science we were talking about on Global National yesterday is these questions about exactly how the, the virus transfers. They've always known it was through droplets. Now they think it might be through micro droplets, which are even smaller and can travel further and hang in the air longer. So the thinking is that wearing those masks helps to contain any of those droplets inside the fabric instead of having them shoot out. Uh, and I'm sure there's, there's some people who are not going to want to wear these masks mm-hmm. and the heat and everything else. They are being careful to say, look, when you're outside on a very humid day, if you're not close to anyone, no there's one's no saying yeah. you need to wear a mask out there and suffocate. It's when you're inside buildings or you're in close proximity to people, uh, particularly if you work in an office building like I do when you're getting in an elevator, can't maintain six feet of distance. It's impossible. Um, so to have a mask ready to pop on uh, as you're heading into the building and uh, so that when you're close to others, you're able to protect them. The hope being, and we've been seeing declining numbers in Canada, that that will continue being the case. Uh, but yeah, for now, just think of, of all the you know cool masks you can buy by Canadian designers. There's a military wife here who makes otter-based masks. Oh, really? And I plan to buy myself several. Wow. So. Okay. So, so when you go to the mall you mask up to go buy your mask it makes perfect sense exactly and you know what it's it's interesting i've got like these emails from um various stores and most of them are canadian that i shop at and a lot of them are now offering masks so the store may not be open but you can go online and you can order masks uh and there's everything you can imagine out there from really lightweight uh kind of linen ones to much heavier ones um so you know you have to cover your face but in a way you can choose a way to express yourself with those masks too it's been interesting to just kind of watch that little cottage industry start to evolve buy local be safe and i know all the sports teams have their own masks out too so there's so many options out there for you thanks for joining us mercedes thanks for having me that is mercedes stevenson she is global's ottawa bureau chief and host of the west block millions of canadians who received serb payments this year could be in for a bit of a shock at tax time if you received a serb payment there's a good chance you will owe money to the canada revenue agency joining us with some details and perhaps some help is marie kozlowski bdo vice president and licensed insolvency trustee good morning marie Good morning, Sue and Andrew. How are you? Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us because I think there are probably a lot of people who are thinking, hey, this was just some free money while I was off and wasn't able to work. So what could potentially be down the line for folks? Well, we all know it was absolutely needed to reduce the strain of COVID-19 on millions of Canadians. And, you know, millions of Canadians have actually received it, over $8 million, $53.5 billion paid out, uh, nearly a million in this province. So um, while... Um, it has reduced the financial strain. It was paid out um, without the, de- the deduction of tax, so taxes were not were not taken off the serve, and it can co- it will end up costing very likely mil- well, millions of Canadians extra cash uh, come April next year. Um, it depends entirely on the individual, how much income the individual makes for 2020, both before and after um, serve, and what they receive for serve. If um, uh, an individual uh, receives or makes more than less than 13300 they're not going to be taxable federally. That amount is 12000 in this province. But once you get past those personal exemptions, the taxes owing can rise dramatically. And there is a great tool that individuals can use to figure out what potentially their tax hit could be. That's a tax calculator available at taxtips.ca. For example, um, if somebody made 50000 this year without the SERP, you can calculate total taxes. That would be outstanding. That's about $8,700. Uh, 
If you receive three SERP payments, that's extra six, extra $6,000, put that number in, you'll see that your taxes increase to about 10500 That's an extra 1800 to $1,900. Ooh. And if you receive the full six, the total tax, um, uh, the, the, the incremental tax you owe uh, come this time next year, come April next year, would be about $3,700. It adds up very quickly. And, you know, people were struggling previously going from paycheck to paycheck. When you add this on top, it becomes almost insurmountable. So, Marie, I mean, obviously it's on the individual. And I, I think to a certain extent it could be uh, an individual who's never had to in the past put monies aside for tax. That's one part. But is this something that you you maybe even want to talk to your employer about if you go back to work to adjust the taxation uh, on that end? That's a great idea, Andrew. I mean, I was going to suggest, you know, this is the time to, if you've got extra money in the SERB, put it aside. If you've got savings, increase those savings or buy an RSP. Look at your budget. But, you know, Andrew, you're absolutely right. When you go back to work, hopefully everybody does soon, ask your employer to take a little bit more off in taxes and, you know, manage your budget so that you can cover all your expenses. And then that will help dramatically. And we have to remember as well, some people normally would be receiving a reasonably good income tax refund and that tax refund is often set aside for expenses that they, the family has maybe for vacations maybe it's just to keep their debt under control that will be eliminated in some situations or again people could be owing tax and they're going to have to figure out how to pay it the last thing you can do is ignore it it's not going to go away obviously so if we are stuck and tax time is coming around What's the best advice for you to give to well, our listeners? Yeah, so the most important thing is, first of all, do your quick calculation. This time, you know, in April, uh, before April of next year, file your tax return on time. Because if you, if you, you know, if you get a little scared and you don't file, there is a 5% penalty charged by Canada Revenue Agency on the balance of tax due. And then if you don't pay it, they will charge you 1% interest per month. So if you're $5,000, and you don't pay for 12 months and you file your tax return late, that's an extra $850. Things, and then, you know, the interest gets, continues to accrue. So it becomes very difficult. You must, um, you know, figure out what you owe, prepare your tax return, file your return. If you can't pay, contact Canada Revenue Agency and set up a payment plan if you can manage it. If you can't, um, don't ignore it because CRA can force payment of taxes by garnishing wages, seizing bank accounts, or even filing a writ against real estate. Yeah. So, you know, you really need to figure out what you owe, file your tax return, set up a payment plan, and see where you go from there. Wow, lots of moving parts, and it's good to be in the know for sure. Thank you so much, Marie. You're very welcome. You know, and if anybody does have problems um, with tax and other debt, please call me. I'm a licensed insolvency trustee. You can call us at 1-855-BBO-DEBT or contact our website, bdo.debtsolutions.bdo.ca. Uh, and we'd be more than happy to try and point people in the right direction. Good stuff. Thank you very much, Marie. You're very welcome. Thanks for inviting me. That is Marie Kozlowski, BDO Vice President and Licensed Insolvency Trustee. And if you need help with that uh, tax calculator, taxtips.ca. 709, canceling Stampede has been tough for the city's morale, but more than that, it's been devastating for charities in our city. One of those organizations affected is the Calgary Food Bank. Shauna Ogston is the Communications and Media Relations Supervisor at the Food Bank. She joins us now. Hi, Shauna. 
Good morning. Talk to us a little bit about what this means to the food bank. I mean, you know, we don't really kind of see that connection usually, but there really is a, a big relationship between the food bank and Stampede, isn't there? Oh, there's huge. I mean, every year we do a campaign for 10 days of Stampede called Put the Boots to Hunger. So naturally, we're not doing that this year. Uh, the Calgarians are so generous. They would have uh, barbecues, pancake breakfasts, and there would always be a giving component for the Calgary Food Bank. So we are definitely seeing the effects of that not happening this year. And Shauna, we, we talk a lot about, you know, the 365 days a year that a, an organization like the Stampede does give back to the community. So if you can talk about, you know, and not just in terms of the Calgary Stampede, but those things that may have been cancelled because of COVID-19 that are going to impact you further down the line post-pandemic. Well, Put the Boots to Hunger was traditionally a campaign that we would have during Stampede so that we could garner food and funds that would take us through the rest of the summer and into the fall when things start to pick up again. So naturally, we're going to see, uh, you know, some dip in how things are coming along at the food bank. But it's amazing the stampede spirit that's out there. Calgarians are still getting together, whether it's something small in their driveway, whether they're visiting online, and they're still giving back to their communities. And the Calgary Food Bank is one of the lucky organizations that gets to see the wonderful results of that. Maybe that's a good reminder. You know, if people are having get-togethers of any kind, you just, hey, turn it into a little bit of a food bank. You know, have people pop by with one item and and collect that and, and turn it to the food bank. It would make a huge difference, no doubt, for you guys, I'm sure. Oh, it would go a long way. We always say that if you're out shopping, buying your favorite thing, why not get another for another family? I mean, you do that with that stampede spirit during these these next 10 days, even though the events aren't going on. And it's still going to add up and make a difference and make sure that we can continue to help individuals and families when things pick up in September. Okay, and even something like we would see on Stampede Park, which was the milk and uh, cookie uh, you know, kind of a booth of milk and cookie initiative. That's one of the best deals yeah, on Stampede. So, uh, but we don't have it at Stampede Park, but it's still going on in some fashion, if you can tell us how that works. Well, that's such a great initiative. I personally loved going to the milk and cookie shack yes. on the ground. <laughs> Every year. It, it balances out uh, the number of, you know, mini donuts and, and that sort of thing that we're eating. Uh, and it was so refreshing. And over the years, they've raised over $200,000 for us. So they know that that's still going to impact. We can't stop uh, collecting because Calgarians are still suffering and they're going to need it. So they have an online campaign that's for every share and like and retweet of this campaign, they will donate back to the food bank. So we can still ensure that those funds are going to come along so we can purchase the the uh, food that people need for their hampers. So important. Uh, lots going on and ways to help the food bank. Cash is always welcome as well. Let's talk about... You you know, maybe uh, the, the empty boot auction, which we have going on right now as well. A lot of folks around the city, Andrew and I included, painted some boots. And we're hoping, yeah. hoping that people will, you know, buy those. And again, it's just a, a fun way to celebrate Stampede, but also help out. Well, you know, it's a uh, version of the Put the Boots to Hunger campaign and the Empty Bowl benefit. We decided, well, hey, we could still do something unique for Stampede. So we've got folks like you painting boots, and these are going to be collector's items, folks. Oh, yeah. We're going to have Stampede again. Uh, So there's some really creative boots that have been um, made and painted, as well as some swag that's added to them. And so that online auction is going on right now until Thursday night at 7. And you can just go to thecalgaryfoodbank.com 
um, empty booths and you can see all the wonderful things that you can uh, it's a unique way to actually donate to the food bank and and get a creative thing from it uh, I never thought of it as the combination of uh, putting the boots to hunger right? and empty. And uh, I did one with my kids, and I want to yeah. let you know that right now I am tied for last place. <laughs> um, mine is called, by the way, and as soon as yours is COVID Cowboy. COVID Cowboy, Okay, yep. you're, you're over $100. Oh, that's great. Yeah, elevateauctions.com slash bowls 2020. Of course, you can also search Elevate Auctions Empty Boot benefit um my bid is 50 bucks but mine is simple and like you say it is going to be a collector's item uh, but this is one more way that you're keeping things going and keeping the spirit alive sean and, and i love that mm-hmm. about you folks because you could have just scrubbed it right yeah we could have i mean just because we can't physically get together doesn't mean we still can't make a difference and celebrate online in such fun way not even just with the auction but sending out your tweets and your facebook posts saying, this is how I'm giving back to the community. This is how I want to make sure that my neighbors and my family are still taken care of. And wow, Calgary is so generous and they're they're so vocal. We love it. Have you, Shauna, seen an uptick in people that are needing the help of the food bank through this pandemic? There are a lot of people who lost their jobs. You know, the money was really tight and it was it's been a difficult time. So are you seeing more people that are needing you? Well, back in March, we saw quite an uptick in the need for hampers. And then now we've leveled off. Now, of course, we've never dipped down. We've never gone to historic lows. We are now at our typical demand uh, per day and per week. And we really contribute a lot of that to um, neighbors helping neighbors. There's a lot of events going on in the community where someone is helping each other. But we want to let Calgarians know that you can come to the food bank. You don't have to struggle. We have the food. We're here for you. And there are so many services out there that we can connect you with as well. And we know that this is just... The pandemic may be happening right now, but the effects of the economy and Calgarians were already struggling that this fall and winter is going to be tough on them. Shauna, let's talk about, you know, the the regular methods people like to give. And and one of those has been in the past, those donation bins within grocery stores. I know grocery stores look a little differently now than they did a few months ago, but is it still available? Is something we can buy one of those food bank packs and put in the bin? Yes, a number of the stores still have the, the hamburgers creations where you can buy them for 10 or $20 mm-hmm. and put them in the donation bin. And the stores are still so generous by having the space so you can still donate whatever you desire and put it in a donation bin. And we get calls from store managers and, and volunteers who will be out and about and say, oh, we saw the bin is full. Make sure you get over here and get this food. So we are so lucky that people are able to make a difference. And they know that whether it's a dollar that they're donating online or putting that can of tune in the donation bin it is going to make an immediate impact and isn't that all what we want to do when we're giving absolutely thank you so much for joining us it's calgaryfoodbank.com you can donate there you can find out how you can get you know food to the food bank maybe do a collection at your own stampede party or get together and there's also the link to the empty boots benefit on the food bank's website so thank you so much for joining us shauna Thank you. That's Shauna Ogston, Communications and Media Relations Supervisor at the Calgary Food Bank. 642 on the morning news. During this era of separation and isolation due to the coronavirus, all people, particularly children, urgently need to help build relationships, connect with community, and foster a sense of self. Parents can help restore their children's sense of self and belonging through storytelling activities. With all the details, we are joined by Assistant Professor Literacy, Wilfrid Laurier University, Kathy Miata. Good morning, Kathy. 
Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. Let's, uh, you know, break down the definition of storytelling first, because I think we're talking uh, beyond just reading the kids a book. We're talking about creating. Is that right? We are. What I'm talking about is oral tradition, which is the oldest storytelling, the oldest art, the oldest art in the human race. This is about sharing stories, communicating about anything that's happened, anything we feel, anything we know. So this is not print. This is sharing, looking at each other in the eye and sharing from our heart. I think the art of storytelling is, you know, so important at any time and especially to teach it to kids. But really during this time where they've never experienced anything like this, most of us have never experienced anything like this. So to be able to to teach them how to take that information and then share it and, and tell it back to somebody would really be quite interesting. Oh, it's interesting and it's very valuable because the children respond to storytelling very, very strongly as do all people. Mm-hmm. Um, I teach at many levels at the university, and I teach it in all the different um, levels, like master's program or undergraduate or teacher education. Um, and it's, So adults need it as well as children, but children particularly right now because there's this enormous disconnect. So if you get them to tell stories, it could even be just remembering stories, retelling the Three Little Pigs or any story they know from their own background or heritage, telling a story about themselves. If you would prompt a a storytelling um, session or a storytelling moment, like, do you remember the time you saved that bunny? Or do you remember the time, you know, Aunt Lydia lost her keys and no one could find them and you found them? And you get them to remember and tell about a successful moment. It grounds them and they, they feel reassured. I find that children, particularly children right now, it's not the isolation, it's the disconnect. Mm. And they need to feel grounded and they need to feel like they belong and they need to feel connected to also a past because mm. the future is so undecided. And it's not that they can understand that the future is uncertain, but they feel the stress, they, they sense the almost like a disorganization, nothing's the same, mommy's not working, daddy maybe is working, Um, I'm not in school, I want to go to school, I can't go to school. (laughs) There's just so many issues that's so hard for them to manage physically, mentally, and emotionally. So this is just a way to get them to be listened to. Mm -hmm. And I think listening is a really big part of the art of storytelling. Well, and not just that, in this uh, in 2020, in this age of electronics, what an awesome way to keep their creativity up, but put away the iPads and the iPods. Oh, absolutely, and build relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yes, without a doubt. And uh, there's a lot of articles out there and studies now on digital storytelling, which has its place, but it doesn't build relationships. This is about sharing something very personal um intergenerational storytelling is such a gift if you can talk to someone that's older a grandparent an older relative and get them to tell you stories or um you can tell them a story then you're building a bond i work with many indigenous communities and one of my favorite moments was working with an elder out west and the elder said to me storytelling is not about a story it's about a relationship 
Excellent. And I I love that. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. You captured it completely. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know storytelling. You know, as as for kids, I think it's it's brilliant what you're talking about, and it will also translate later in life. I mean, we use storytelling in so many parts of our our lives and our world that we don't even realize it. So to be able to get good at it and understand how 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 positive it can be and 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 give you that gift, it's it's quite something. It is. It will set them up for life. Interestingly, the most published articles about storytelling are in the business world because they totally understand that you can connect with someone, that you can motivate someone, you can persuade someone, you can get someone to understand your position through storytelling. And education seems to be a little farther behind in this. So this is my big mission. But if you can teach them to tell a story well, and it's not a difficult thing to do, then they are set for life in communicating. Mm-hmm. They will not be afraid to get up yeah. in front of people. That's good and stuff. I teach in the, the classrooms and have for many, many years, even as a professional teller, to have teachers use storytelling to prepare children to be speech makers. You can't just leap into a speech. You have to learn how to deliver. You have to learn to listen. You have to learn to share. You have to learn to look at them. You have to learn body language. All of these things are connected with the story. And once you get them to tell Mm -hmm. and express with meaning and purpose and they enjoy it, then you're setting them up for life. It's a life skill uh, and very Mm -hmm. timely. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Kathy. We appreciate it. I really appreciate it. You take care and be safe. You too. That is Kathy Miata, Assistant Professor of Literacy, Wilfrid Laurier University. 749 now, and some people are ready to start traveling again. Others say, no, thank you. Either way, the tourism industry is slowly opening up, and the travel lady, Leslie Cater, went on a reconnaissance mission out to Canmore, and she joins us with her report now. Hi, Leslie. Good morning. Thank you so much. Uh, Tell us about your experience. What did you do and how did you feel about it all? Well, I decided that it was time to venture out from my little bubble and uh, take some time. Go and have a look at Canmore. Canmore is one of my favorite destinations. It's nearby to Calgary. And I actually wanted to see what the crowds were like and what was the protocol in hotels and restaurants. Because personally, I haven't eaten out since the middle of March. So there was a lot to experience and a lot to learn. Let's talk about what's changed, because we love Canmore, we love our mountain Mm -hmm. getaways. What did you notice different? Well, first of all, I think checking in at the hotel, I stayed at the Malcolm, so it's a big hotel, but immediately they had all of their protocols in place. They had put a large um, desk in front of the check-in desk, so it made you, it forced you to keep that six feet or more away, and there were bottles of sanitizer there, Um, So everything, of course, these days is electronic, names are in the system, all of that. But we did have to fill in a form confirming that we didn't have any symptoms or hadn't been ill or hadn't been diagnosed with anything, which I thought was a good thing. Um, Going up to the room, um, again, we were still being ultra-cautious, using our elbows to press the elevator button. (laughs) That's (laughs) become everybody's new habit, hasn't it? Yeah, that's right. And it's tricky. You know, especially depends what you've got on. If you've got a big coat on, sometimes uh, you don't get the right button. We went up and down a couple of times. (laughs) Was not my fault. (laughs) (laughs) Leslie, you need to use your foot next time. So a little more yoga, perhaps. There you go. There you go. But we did find when we got into the room, it was obviously beautiful. But we did take our own wipes 
and hand sanitizer. And I went through the room and did taps, handles, um, telephone, that kind of thing. Anything that we thought we might the, be touching. The TV remote? TV remote, oh, that good. sort of thing. Yeah. Yes, yes. All of those things, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they had been done already, but it just gives extra peace of mind. And I think that this would be a good process to have, even if there was no COVID, mm-hmm. if you think about it, mm-hmm. as we travel. Always take those wet wipes, those sanitizing. And how many times haven't I packed them in my carry-on, got onto a flight, looked over and seen somebody else wiping down their tray table and thought to myself, oh, for God's sake. And really, that person was the wise person and I was the stupid one. Me too, totally agree. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Heading downtown to Canmore, I love the fact that downtown has closed off the main street to traffic. Uh, For a couple of reasons, it makes the mingling so much easier. It gives more space so you can social distance. And also it meant that the restaurants could use that space to put a few more tables out there and cut down on the number of tables in their restaurants. Uh, Because obviously that's an important thing with eating out. Uh, Mm -hmm. Popped into one of my favorites for lunch, Gray's, and had a chat with the owner there. And uh, he said it's really been tough for them. But my goodness me, his staff were incredible. They were so cheery. They were moving the tables around and checking by standing between tables and stretching their arms out <laughs> so that they could see that they were doing the social distancing. So that gave me a lot mm-hmm. of confidence as well, seeing that the local um, restaurants and, of course, all the servers and everybody were in masks, yeah. not the guests, because you can't eat and drink with a no, mask on. I've tried, and it, it's, no, it's not pretty. Well, again, yeah. we're glad that you've given us some confidence that we can head back to our favorite spots out west. Thank you very much, oh, yeah. Leslie. Oh, you're welcome. Stay well. You too. That is the Travel Lady, Leslie Cater. You can find her online at thetravellady.ca. 908 now. Families lost in a sea of overwhelming clutter and disorganization are finally going to get the virtual help they need. It might just be you that needs to get a little organized as well. Hot Mess House is debuting on HGTV Canada tonight. And joining us is the star organization expert and coach Cassandra Arson. Good morning, Cassandra. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining us. I've watched the trailers, and I think there are a lot of folks out there who probably need your help. Give us the lowdown on this show. It's such a cool show. It's um, airing tonight, which I'm very excited about, at 10 p.m. Eastern on HGTV. And the show is me just helping families who are drowning in clutter. Some families have 20 years' worth of stuff in their basement. They can't even access a room. And others just have um, too much stuff. So we're meeting virtually. Everything's done through Skype. The families are filming the process on their end with a bunch of GoPros, and I'm filming here. And we're taking a tour of their home. We're seeing their clutter. I'm helping them declutter and then organize for their unique organizing style. Now, you are an organization expert by trade. This is what you do. So I'm wondering if you can give me some personal insight because when I go to throw something out, I feel it, it's not just a thing. I feel some attachment and that I, I, I better not get rid of this. So how much of it is psychological and how much of it is just too much stuff? 
I think it's it's all in our heads, right? Stuff is just stuff, but we do put a lot of value on it, mm-hmm. whether it's, and everybody's reason is different. Some people are like, oh, I'd have to buy this again. They see that as time. They see it as money. They see it as the memories that it was. And so it's really important for my clients that I help them overcome that psychological attachment to their stuff by asking the three questions. Have you used it in the last 12 months? Do you love it? And would you buy it again today? Mm. And if the answer is no, then it has to go. Because it just seems like it's it's one extra drill or it's it's one shirt that I don't really love, but I don't want to get rid of it. But all of those little things add up to a really full home. Were you shocked when you saw how some people are living? And, you know, not, we're not all necessarily hoarders, but boy, we sure, we're a society that collects a lot of stuff. We do, and I'm not shocked, and there's no judging, because I'm a recovering super slob. <laughs> I had paths in my home, a path, I'm embarrassed <laughs> to say this, but like from the couch to the fridge to my bed, and so I've been there, and I know that it. it it's not just about what your place looks like and how it functions, but it's how you feel about yourself. And I started this journey wanting my life to be easier. I didn't want to lose things anymore. I wanted to be able to get ready quick, to be able to clean my house without having to tidy for hours and spend an entire weekend. And so it started out coming from a place of laziness, really. How can I make my life easier? But not just of course that happened, but every other aspect of my life changed too. So now I'm really passionate to help other families have that same transformation. Is it usually, is it a family decision to get the clutter out, to get things? So as you mentioned, you're not losing things and you can find those things that you really need. Is it a family decision or is it usually led by one person in the household? Um, Sometimes it's family sometimes it's one person who's just tired of like my wife tidying. <laughs> okay. yeah they're like and, and that's how you know you have a problem when when you've cleaned your home and or tidied and it's messy again the next day that's that's a combination of too much stuff and not enough organization. And so with these families on Hot Mess House, that's exactly what we did is we took a look at their home and said, okay, what is working? And how can we replicate that through the rest of this space so that it stays tidy all the time? Okay, so I want to talk to you about a couple of things that you've mentioned. You, you talked about an organization style, and then you talked about, you know, giving some of these folks necessary resources and tools. What would those things be? The first thing is you have to know your organizing style. And I think this is why a lot of people are failing because they organize differently than traditional organizing methods or everyone in the family has different organizing styles. And so right off the bat, I I have people take, I have a free quiz on my website or just by looking at what's working, I can tell what their organizing style is. And then we set up systems for that. So some people are visual organizers. So I set them clear containers. I send them pegboards or open shelving. Some people are hidden organizers. They want things behind closed doors. So I sent them items to, to organize for that. Some people are really detailed. They need lots of categories. And other people are macro organizers. So they need big baskets with one category hmm. to organize their things. That makes sense. Okay, good. Andrew's a, he organizes on the floor. <laughs> I organize, you know, it's interesting because I have four kids and two toddlers. So it is, I have a, uh, here's, here's a story for you, uh, Cassandra. I have a toy box that I'm going to put these toys in that I have on the floor and I've not built it yet. So <laughs> you have to start somewhere. So I'm wondering if you can give us a tip, 
if we feel overwhelmed, because it can get to the point where it's overwhelming, um, we're going to be tuning in tonight on HGTV. But what is one tip that you can give somebody to get that start? Because I would think that that's the key is at least getting started. Yeah, so starting with the decluttering, I, I suggest just doing a macro sort, and it's, am I keeping it or is it going? So everybody's first instinct is to take a big pile, say, of toys and start making lots of little tiny piles. And that's where we get overwhelmed <laughs> mm-hmm. and we stop. So we're not, we're not worrying about organizing right off the bat. It's, am I keeping it or is it going? And then when we get to the organizing part, we're making big categories again. So here's all the dolls in one pile. Here's all the cars and trucks in another pile. Here's all the puzzles in another pile. Resist that urge to really micro-sort right off the bat because it's overwhelming, and then you run out of time and nothing actually is getting done. That makes sense. Okay, so I've just been on your website, which is clutterbug.me, and you can take that clutterbug quiz there. Love it. And then the show itself on HGTV Canada tonight, 8 p.m. Mountain Time. And will we see, is it one family at a time, two families at a time? What do we see, Cassandra? It's two families per episode, and they both have different organizing styles and are coming from different places. Um, it's so inspiring to see what they're doing all by themselves. The show is completely self-shot. These families, not only are they decluttering by themselves, organizing by themselves, but they're filming the entire television show themselves with GoPros. And so it's so unique. It's so inspiring because while you're watching at home, you can instantly implement the same tips and techniques without spending money or a lot of time. So the self-shot aspect, it might look different than other shows you've seen when it comes to, you know, anything on HGTV, but I would think that it does have an authenticity to it at that point as well. I agree. I think it's relatable. It's something that it's not staged. There isn't producers there and camera crew and sound. There's definitely no hair and makeup. <laughs> that part's a little sad. But um, it is. It's just real people with real clutter making real transformations. It sounds like fun. We'll be checking it out tonight. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. That's Cassandra Arson, Canadian organization expert and coach. She is the host of the new TV show, Hot Mess House. It debuts on HGTV Canada tonight, 8 p.m. our time. Committed to memory now, Sue. Have I used it in 12 months? Do I love it? And would I buy it again today? That's a good way to go with your clothes in your closet, too, where we start to store stuff. and Turn your hanger around. If it's something you don't wear very often, turn the hanger around. If you don't turn that hanger back around within 12 months, out it goes. I've told my wife that, but she doesn't Don't tell your wife that. That, Nine, well, it doesn't apply to women? No. That's not fair.